Welcome to the LarryInFishers.com podcast. I'm Larry Lannon. This podcast is brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local Fishers Indiana news blog centers on news that impacts fishers. If you haven't already, give it a try. Go to LarryInFishers.com. You can sign up for email alerts on the blog site itself. You can also follow me on Twitter at LarryInFishers. School start times, bus schedules, technology, and another new elementary building on the way. Those are just some of the issues facing the Hamilton Southeastern School District. Here's my discussion with school superintendent Alan Borth, recorded during the afternoon of Thursday, February 13th. I'm in the office of Dr. Alan Borf, the superintendent of schools for the Hamilton Southeastern School District. Dr. Borf, welcome once again to the podcast. Thank you. Nice to have you here in the office today. And uh, we have a lot to talk about because last night, the night before we record this, the school board had a spirited discussion, several uh, proposals thrown out, but there was a final decision on school start times and the bus scheduling. So as best as you can sum it up, what did happen, what action was taken by the board at that February 13th meeting? Well, the board reacted to community input that we've received since we began talking about this in earnest back in November. The conversation's been going on for a few years, though. And what they what they landed on last night, as you said, uh, after spirited discussion and four, five different uh, motions, I can't remember how many motions we, we had, and uh, finally landed on uh, implementation for next fall of a three-tier busing schedule. And rather than commit to what we call a flipped schedule, and by flipped I mean Right now, we have high school students going first, and then we start with uh, elementary students much later in the morning. A flipped schedule would have that reversed, with elementary students coming in first, and then high school students starting sometime before, shortly before 9 o'clock. That was something they just didn't feel that they could commit to right now. So what they've done... They have approved a three-tier busing schedule for next fall, to begin next fall. This does change our start times, Uh, not not in a major way, but um, because we are running slightly shorter days throughout the system, you will see some changes in scheduling. The second piece of that motion, though, was to convene a study committee that would examine options, perhaps options that we haven't yet reviewed, uh, um, look at data from school systems that have already gone to a flipped uh, schedule, and perhaps look at the configuration of grades on given buses uh, in the mornings. We would look at attendance clusters. We would look at uh, schedules, again, how tight schedules need to be for these tiers that we talk about, uh, tiers of busing schedules. And so with that study committee examining the data, uh, that would inform the superintendent, 
that would inform me to come back in October with a recommendation for the following school year. That would be school year 21-22. The original option, too, did include a, a, a recommendation by you to go to that, what you just described as a flipped schedule for 21-22 school year. So the board decided not to take that portion of it, but otherwise more or less took in that what we called option two, which I've described and other uh, media outlets have described. I want to ask more about what, what happened, but before I do that, I want to talk about something you just broached. That's the, the board action to, to create this, this study committee, and you've described exactly what it is charged with doing. So in a little more detail for the audience, how do you envision uh, the committee's work, the timing of when the members are going to be appointed and when they may start actually meeting, because it may not seem like it to some, but October of this year is not a, a long period of time to complete a task like you've just described. We will be putting uh, that committee together within the, within the next few weeks, I would guess before spring break. Um, that study committee will involve a wide variety of stakeholders. We want teachers on that. Uh, we, would, we would prefer to have some people from our transportation department on that, as well as parents and uh, perhaps business people. The uh, school board itself may have a, a member or two who will serve on that committee. And the work of that committee will be determined depending on the charge of the committee. As I've told you, they will be reviewing data. They'll be exploring new options. It could be that they'll break into some subcommittees that will explore some of these different questions. Um, and I think it needs to be a committee that will um, meet regularly. And by regularly, I'm not so sure that it would be weekly, but it should be rather frequently so that we have what we need to, for me to prepare and uh, be ready to, to present a proposal in October. As you said, that will come before we know it. Yeah. Uh, backing up just a little bit, one of the responses I got on Twitter after I posted my story, after I posted it last night, got the reaction this morning, somebody uh, put a message on saying, well, okay, that means nothing changes, right? Well, not exactly. Yeah, I think, and, and, and try to emphasize this, you've already mentioned it. But because just because you haven't flipped the schedule, this three-tier bus system, which is a new system to try to streamline the routes, will still create some changes, maybe not as dramatic as flipping. So kind of explain what uh, students and parents are going to experience this coming school year. One of, the major, one, of, one of the major changes will be that we will no longer need an early release Monday. Um, parents have said for some time that this is an inconvenience. It's hard to remember sometimes that we, that we have a different schedule on Monday. That will disappear. We'll, we'll have five days uh, throughout the week that are rather uniform in, in length. The start time will look very similar uh, at the high school. For right now, it's 735, but it will become 730. And the high school will be released at 230. The, the um, grades 5 through 8 will begin at 8 o'clock, release at 3, and the elementary will begin at 9 and release at 3.30. Anyone who's following the math would know that these are slightly shorter days. They're shorter days so that we can use that time gained for teacher preparation time, collaboration time, planning time, 
professional development time, and it's time that we right now are taking out of the school day and bringing substitute teachers in to fill those classrooms. And we saw the need to be more aggressive about uh, reducing the amount of time we take teachers away from their classes. This schedule, though the public will not appreciate this, they, they, they're not in our classrooms day in and day out, but our students will appreciate this, and uh, we believe that it's a, it's a richer environment that we can provide. That's one of the greatest benefits of this schedule. As I counted it, and uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, I counted two votes for the uh, uh, option one and option two, uh, one each for a total of two that both failed to get four votes. Then there was a motion made that failed to garner a second. And at that point, I, I began to see everybody looking at each other about, okay, what what, what are we going to do now? Uh, I've covered school boards in the past, you've been superintendent before in other school systems. Uh, were you a little concerned that, well, are we going to get to a decision tonight? I mean, this is the, the prerogative of the school board, and you do need four votes to enact any of these proposals. Well, as I saw it, if there had been no decision, that would have been a decision. That would have been a decision to maintain the status quo. Uh, as it was, our board president uh, took the initiative and presented uh, a motion that was kind of a hybrid mm -hmm. of our option two, and that received four votes. What I, what I want to emphasize is that we came to that meeting last night with seven board members with seven very different points of view, and those points of view were reflective of the very different points of view out in the public right now. We've received many, many emails uh, and, and comments throughout these last several, several weeks from parents who were just as supportive and opposing uh, as you can imagine. Even last night, our speakers, it was a 50-50 split. It was, yes. Yeah, and, and, and we they, had even, students. Even within that, and students too, but the, even when they took a position, they were caveats. <laughs> You know, there was, okay, but this, I was very fascinated by, they were, they were really understanding some of the nuance in ways that uh, I was impressed with the fact that the students and some of the parents and adults uh, were very serious about this. And, and just uh, let's react to this, because having been a reporter covering school boards, when something like this happens, uh, you have the board with different ideas, that normally means that the community is also split. And that's what I have experienced. I think I've been getting lots of comments. You got you get way more than I do, but my measure of that is that there are a lot of different ideas that all have valid points, and it's up to the board to find four votes to to decide on on one uh, it, one decision, or as you said, no decision, which keeps everything the same. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I I was very impressed with that at all. But do you think that does the the board itself kind of reflects the community and the fact that? There may there may just so many different ideas that uh, perhaps the community's not ready oh, to sure. settle on a total. Here we go forward with this from now on. I I think it would be hard to say with any confidence that uh, there's a majority that feels one way or the other. We we have seen so many different points of view, and they've been very heartfelt and all for the right reason. 
those those people who were opposed to um, supporting the research that's out there that is is fairly uh, fairly significant research on the sleep needs of our adolescent students. Those people who have been opposed to a change are not opposed to the idea of supporting research. What they are opposed to is such a uh, such a an upheaval created by a change in schedule, an upheaval to the to the careers and to the homes they have built around these schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, they they have made great cases uh, and cases that the school board has been very observant of, and uh, that's what was reflected last night in this difficult uh, time they had coming to any decision. You have said. Uh, start times, and I think bus scheduling also, are issues you've been exploring since you arrived here. Yes. As you've been talking about, there are challenges with finding bus drivers, there are challenges uh, with uh, the, the data that you see in terms of sleep needs for students at a certain age. Uh, since you've been looking at this for so long, why, why do you think, uh, well, let me just ask it this way, why did you feel it was important to bring this issue up now for consideration uh, for the Members of the board. This has been a pro, uh, a question that has been um, under the surface of almost every conversation we've had. Uh, when we have board retreats, when we have board discussions, this generally surfaces at some point. We have been addressing mental health in a very aggressive manner, and we've won uh, lots of lots of accolades from places um, actually all over the country. The mental well-being of our adolescent students uh, continues to be a focus of ours and if we ignore this the the sleep needs and this research on sleep we're we're not doing justice to the topic and to those students and so we brought that up as a natural consequence of the concern we have about their mental well-being and we'll continue to talk about that the the study committee that we will put together will be charged with at least respecting and acknowledging that sleep research as it moves forward. There may be other ways of respecting it than doing a flipped schedule. That's what we need to be uh, pursuing. Let me change the subject because there was another issue that came up last night that might have received more attention had it not been for the the bus and and, and the start time scheduling issues. That had to do with the technology and it had to do with uh, the use of the iPads. The iPads have been used ever since this rollout happens uh, a few years ago. Um, so my question to you is, and, and I think a lot of people in the room were confused about just what was happening now and what the board expressed concerns about. As I understand it, iPads are used primarily in certain grades, but yet in high school, quite often the students use laptops and there was a push by at least one board member to investigate, you know, what the cost would be. There would be a big cost difference. And for instance, just having a rollout of, of, uh, of, of laptops from one grade to another, the board decided not to take any action at last night's meeting, but uh, uh, Jeff Harrison, a, a member of your staff will be looking into this and providing some more information on, on the different options. I guess the first question would be, how do you assign the technology tools, the hardware and the software that goes with that at what grade level? What is going on right now in the school system? Our school system is a bring-your-own-device 
school system. In other words, uh, if, if you want to bring uh, your, your laptop and you want to pay for a laptop, you may, you may do that. It could be a different, different version from anything we assign. But if you don't wish to go out and buy your own device, then we're prepared to rent an iPad uh, to any student. And that's what we do right and now. And that's at any grade level. Right now, oh. it's at any grade level. Okay. That's right. What we talked about last night was a uh, pretty much a high school topic, though. And what, what the contention was, uh, was that the iPad is, is limited in the functionality of many of our high school, what the needs are of many of our high school students. And um, the suggestion was that we should be looking at laptops for the high school students rather than iPads. The laptop option is a more expensive option, and we have been uh, very reluctant to provide any kind of option that would significantly raise the cost to our parents. We know that our parents in this district are already very generous with what they uh, are asked to provide uh, in way of textbook rental, um, many of our extra materials. So we've tried to keep those costs down on technology. The iPad, which is a, a new version, it's a new generation that we're talking about, is much different from the iPad of four or five years ago and uh, much more capable. So we thought that uh, that was worthy of at least a discussion uh, to make available that for all of our students at the high school. What the board members talked about was that we have, a, we have some students in some, some of our uh, engineering classes, uh, some of our technology classes that really would not be well served by that that specific device. So they've asked us to look at uh, options, how affordable those options are, what could we do in terms of uh, bulk purchases of some of those items, and then just the management of those items, management and maintenance. So we'll be coming back with more information and uh, asking for a decision at another time. And, and part of the decision is whether you wish to continue to be a bring-your-own-device school district. Is that what uh, I heard also? That, was one, of their, that mm-hmm. was one of their questions, which would fundamentally change what we do. And uh, a caveat last night was we have many students who have purchased their devices as recently as this at, at Christmas time. Mm-hmm. And so anything that we do in terms of uh, stepping back from a bring-your-own-device philosophy would probably be something done in incremental fashion. There was a presentation made at the, the uh, school board meeting last night uh, dealing with a, a, a continuing talks uh, with Hub and Spoke, which is under construction, will be o- opening soon. It's it's a way of educating people, adults, and high school students on the building trades, which are desperately in need of employees right now. But uh, in conjunction with the Hub and Scope project, which is going to coming into fruition later uh, this year, uh, Jan Combs, your assistant superintendent, put on a, a lengthy uh, presentation on Purdue Polytechnic which would be a part of the whole hub and, and spoke uh, program. I know that there's not an agreement yet, but there, I got the impression that you're very close to that with Purdue Polytechnic and with, with hub and spoke. So what I'm going to ask you to do is 
just tell the community your vision about what this means. It's hub and spoke uh, partnership with the school system, which has been talked about for months now, and also how Purdue Polytechnic fits into that. We looked at Purdue Polytechnic because of the instructional design that that program offers. Um, Purdue Polytechnic High School uh, was initiated as a charter concept by uh, Mitch Daniels, as a matter of fact, and it was to address the needs of uh, students, perhaps underserved in particular districts, and um, providing an educational uh, background to them that would enable them to get into a Purdue Polytechnic program. That charter concept is not necessarily uh, of interest to us, but the program itself is, and obviously um, Purdue Polytechnic and Purdue University are interested in seeing their model replicated in districts that could make that happen. Would we, this be the first public school partnership with Purdue Polytechnic? My understanding is that okay. it is. Okay. There was a... Uh, there was a, 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 an over. There were overtures with the South Bend Community Schools. I believe they've stepped back, but that's a charter model up there. It's not a program model like ours. And um, but the reason we we really f- have interest in that design is that you have a seamless, multidisciplinary approach to instruction around problem solving and project based learning. These projects, these project-based uh, experiences are around real issues with real tradespeople that Hub and Spoke can offer us. And uh, when Hub and Spoke came uh, looking for the possible location of its, of its facility here in Fishers, um, they met with the city and they met with, our, with, with HSE. And we dreamt at that time, not necessarily knowing that Purdue Polytechnic was uh, on the table, but when we came together, we talked about linking our students with tradespeople to better connect them with futures that would involve some very practical careers that are well-paid and going unfilled at this point. So... Purdue Polytechnic was uh, a model that we were looking at because they had streamlined an effort to uh, connect the basic academic core with project design and project learning. Um, We think it's a good model. Obviously, Purdue feels the same way because they're very supportive. It, It took us one conversation with the dean of Purdue Polytechnic for him to say, when can we start? Mm. Um, It's not without some logistical challenges because, of course, this is a a program that will be off campus. It will be at the Hub and Spoke facility. It will be composed of students who are freshmen at Fishers High School and Hamilton Southeastern High School. One of the reasons that we are very optimistic about transportation to and from is that uh, with this three-tier model we just earlier talked about, there's flexible there's flexibility within our transportation system, and we can provide transportation. That may happen throughout the day, because as these students are at Hub and Spoke, they may also be interested in band or choir or one of the electives that can only be serviced back at their home schools. So there may be buses running throughout the day 
to service the needs of those students. But we see, and we are very excited about the idea of starting this program as early as the fall. We'll be recruiting eighth graders right now for that program. And from what I understand, you may have an agreement uh, in the very near future, maybe a week or two from now. Are you that close? We are very close. Our attorneys have been working on that memo of understanding with Purdue and uh, or Purdue Polytechnic and vice versa. We're very close to that. Let me move to something else because one program I have had, I'm very interested in and reading about it and hearing presentations, Portrait of a Graduate. Now, this has been presented before, but sometimes, you know, here's the thing, there's only so much oxygen in the room, and if it's presented at a meeting where other big issues are, are also out there, it uh, doesn't get as much attention. But I have gone back and looked at some of that information and what I have gleaned from that, and I'm going to ask you to comment on it, what I've gleaned from that is that portrait of a graduate from Ham- for Hamilton Southeastern School District graduate appears to be a way to measure a student in a manner that is different from just the testing regime. There's, there's a lot of, uh, going on with that student that has nothing maybe to do with the test score, although test score may be a portion of it. You have a group working on that right now, so just if you could talk about where that idea is and where you think it's it's set to go from here. Sure. We've, we've been challenged for the last few years. I don't know that we're unique uh, as a school system, but we've been challenged by our business community and our uh, civic community to um, better, better tell the story of what we expect our students to be able to do when they graduate from Hamilton Southeastern. We do a great job of preparing our students academically, and we know how to measure that. We measure that through test scores. We measure that through SAT scores, graduation rates. But what we have also been tasked with by the business community is to talk about how we teach and what we do to instill creative problem-solving, risk-taking, collaboration, creativity. We we have... uh, not traditionally as a school corporation, and there aren't many schools that do this, we have not measured those, those elements. But they are all fundamental to making our students successful uh, as, they, as they go out into the world today. And so we're, we have a team gathered to begin creating what we call a portrait of a graduate, and this portrait has composite pieces. Academic preparation is, of course, one of those. But the others would be uh, communicator, collaborator, critical thinker, equipped learner. And we are developing assessments so that we can determine how successful we are in sending our students out into the world or from grade to grade with some of those composite pieces that we think are so important and that our community has told us they think is important. And you did emphasize when you talked about this program at an open board meeting that you are you, you are adamant that you want the teaching staff to be very involved in this program and how it's put together and you want to make sure they have their their full input into it. So do you are, are we? I know you have some people at a seminar right now. I think now or just recently, yes, talking about this whole assessment regime and how assessments are done, and there's a lot of new thinking going on there. So, do you think we're closer as a school district to knowing what a portrait of a graduate will look like? Oh yes, we are. We we're very close. the The piece though that remains kind of elusive is how do you assess that 
in a manner that doesn't complicate the already uh, busy teacher. Uh, we, we have rubrics that define what, it, what these component pieces look like. Assessing using those rubrics can be very, very tedious. Hmm. We don't want to burden our teachers to the point that they're preoccupied with assessment and not teaching our academic fundamentals. If we're not teaching the academic fundamentals, the rest of that is rather pointless. Well, let me move to something a little less exciting, but still of interest to the community, and that's uh, some bricks and mortar. Uh, the school corporation is now moving ahead with a new school building in Wayne Township to replace Sturban Elementary. You logistically are just not able to uh, to expand that campus, and we'll get into why, but it's, it's just not possible. Uh, explain just why you will need this new elementary school in Wayne Township, which I think technically is in Noblesville, which is an interesting uh, uh, aspect of it. But uh, my question to you is, is um, why you think, why it's needed, this expanded school is needed. And from what I understand so far, the plans are for it to be a very big elementary school. Why are the plans to make it such a large school? What's, where are the needs? I think I know the answer, but I'd like you to explain it. Well, we still have a number of students uh, sitting in portable classrooms throughout the district. We still have overcrowded buildings and none more overcrowded than our brand new elementary, Southeastern. Southeastern was built uh, with a capacity of 700 students. We're now serving more than 700 students. We thought we would be opening that building with about 580 students with plenty of room to grow, and it was over capacity the day the doors opened. So we, we know that there is continuing, uh, there's, a, there's a trend towards development in the Wayne Township area, and we're building that building up there with, uh, with the knowledge that we're not only wanting to uh, reduce the number of portable classrooms being used, but also to have capacity for increasing uh, student enrollment out in that area. It's going to be a building that's designed to serve about the same number of students as our, as our larger elementaries, Thorpe Creek, uh, Geist, uh, Southeastern, New Britain. All of those buildings are built to serve between six and 700 students. This will be the same, the same type of building. It may have a few specialty classrooms um, uh, included that some of our other buildings don't, but um, it's basically the, to save the, serve the same type or same size of uh, enrollment that the others are. I, I knew a city planner, not in Fishers, but another city I covered many years ago, he said, if you want to develop family-oriented housing, just tell people you're building an elementary school, and then the houses will come up. And I think that's a little bit of what happened here. There was, there was a growth that maybe wasn't foreseen at the time you did all the redistricting. And that um, One last question from me. Um, there was a recent board meeting uh, where the board moved forward on this new elementary in Wayne Township, but at the same time said, you know, let's hold off on – the future of Fisher's Elementary School. Fisher's Elementary, for those who don't know, was on Lantern Road, just a little bit south of downtown Fisher's. Uh, that location, as you've mentioned, has a much smaller land imprint or footprint, if you will, than the other schools, just because it's a very old school and every there's been a tremendous amount of development around that school. It's very old. It's showing its age. You've kept it up to date, but that's that's going to be an expensive process. It all came out in some of the discussion. 
So what can you tell the community about what you think the future may be for Fisher's Elementary School, at least at this point? At this point, we're continuing to monitor growth in terms of uh, housing that serves that, that area. Right now, there are, I believe we were told, 170 units being constructed along Lantern Road down there. And uh, some of these will serve uh, families that have children. Many of them will serve families that have children. So we do see that there's potential for growth. Um, If I were a betting person, I'm not so sure where I'd place my money right now on on whether we move that site or uh, simply rehab that building. I don't have, and that was the problem when we were talking about what to do with Fisher's Elementary, I don't have, uh, didn't have for the board to look at a site of around 15 to 20 acres within that attendance district to offer them for consideration. I think, to be quite honest, I think some of our board members would be very interested in a project for Fisher's Elementary, relocation of Fisher's Elementary, if we could find uh, an adequate parcel of land to provide uh, the playground, the parking lots, and, uh, and room for potential growth in the future. We don't have that right now. But there is ongoing research to secure at least knowledge of where those, where those parcels could be in the future. And that area has had so much, not just residential, but commercial development that limits your ability to, to find real estate in that area. You know, Ikea is very close. Fisher's right. District is close. You've got uh, the Nickel Play District. So there are a lot of challenges there you may not have other places. So that decision is, is yet to come, but it's, you can't wait too long. No, in fact, based on what you've said. I, and I continue to have conversations with uh, city officials to look at opportunities that may be out there that may not be apparent right now to those of us who don't know some of the trends and, and the development uh, plans. Uh, I'm uh, done with my questions. My question to you is anything you'd like to add, anything you'd like to, to talk to the community about that I didn't think to ask? Well, you covered you covered a long, <laughs> a, a wide variety. This I, is I the problem when you, when, do. When, you have, when you have a reporter who covers your school board. I think I know most of the issues, but never, now and then I'll ask the mayor and he'll come up with something. But uh, no, there's been plenty to talk about. And, and I want to thank you, Alan Bohr, for your busy schedule to carve out some, some time for me. We appreciate you being here. My pleasure. This podcast has been brought to you by LarryInFishers.com. My local news blog follows news in and around the Fishers area, so check it out. Once again, find it at LarryInFishers.com. And you can also follow me on Twitter, at LarryInFishers. My name is Larry Lannon. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.